Holly. I'm Caleb. Joshua. I decided to open up my own agency. I'm a lawyer. I'm a colorist in the fashion industry. I work at a law firm. I'm a professional boy wrangler. I work in commercial real estate. I'm a seasoned human resources professional. Emails and client calls. And I lost the house that I cherished. A typical day is waking up next to my wife. Couldn't get her out of my head. <laughs> I'm the tallest person in my family. I like to make comic books. I got a tattoo of a tree. I love, I love that. Yeah, so that's all I think about. Who do you think? Who do you think you are? Good morning. Welcome to River Rock Bible Church. Uh, it is good to be here this morning. Glad to see everyone here. Uh, my wife just had a baby this past Wednesday. Baby Eve, uh, Evie we call her, and uh, so it's not just good to be here, it's just good to be out of the house at this point. Uh, we are doing very, very well. I know, Stephen, uh, we showed that video of community groups, and Jen mentioned we are not just a church with community groups, we are a church of community groups. And let me just say this, um, our community group has set up a care calendar for us and has been taking care of us, and there are a number of you outside of our community group that have jumped in on that and have gotten on board, but man, where would we be? Uh, and I know it's a little different because I'm the pastor, so everybody knows. But where would we be without our community group? They have really come around us as, as uh, the rest of the church has. So just one other plug to get in there uh, and get involved in the community group. So the question is that we're looking at this morning is, who do you think you are? Last week we looked at Romans chapter 12 and we introduced our new theme for the year, which is redefining relationships. And we talked about how that happens and why that needs to happen and the transforming of our mind. And we're going to start this year, this is our first series of the year, the new, the new year, uh, we're going to start by asking the question, who am I? What is my identity? Who do you think you are? And the way that we answer that question has, has some big ramifications in our life. It is a life-altering, e- eternity-affecting uh, answer on how we, how we answer that. This is a big question, and it's a question that at some point all of us have to answer, right? We all have to look at ourselves and answer this question, who am I? Who am I? And when we talk about pop psychology, you hear it all the time. They like to talk about self-esteem or self-awareness or, or uh, uh, all those types of things, our self-image. But here in the church, especially at River Rock Bible Church, we want to talk about our identity. What is our identity? And, and here's why. Here's kind of the big idea for this morning and for the rest of this series. Uh, and it's this, that when you know who you are, then you know what to do. Right? When you know who you are, then you know what to do. When you don't know who you are, then what you're supposed to be about in life and the things that you're supposed to be doing become a little bit fuzzy. Right? And so, how do you answer this question? I am what? I am rich. I am poor. I am loved. I am unlovable. I'm desirable. I'm undesirable. I'm young, I'm old, I'm married, I'm unmarried, I'm, I'm divorced. How do you answer that question? Who am I? This is a very important question for us to understand because our identity, as we're going to see this morning in Ephesians chapter 1, our identity affects our destiny. 
Our identity affects our destiny. And so when we ask that question or when we make that statement, when, when you know who you are, then you know what to do. We're going to see that very clearly this morning. And we're going to see how that answer, how we answer that question can affect our destiny. You know, like I said, we've all a- answered and asked that question, who am I? What is my identity? And it starts from the time you're little bitty, right? When you're little bitty, you're, you're asking that question, am I the firstborn? Am I the lastborn? Am I the middle child that nobody remembers that even exists, right? Uh, am I funny? Uh, as you get older, people start to say, oh, you're funny or you're silly or you're, you're good at art. Are you artsy? Are you sporty? Are you geeky? Um, then you, you get the nicknames coming, right? Sometimes those nicknames are good. Sometimes they're a little bit hurtful. Um, my nickname when I was a senior in high school, uh, I don't know if I'm proud or ashamed to admit this, but I was uh, a drum major in the high school band. And so my nickname given to me by one of my friends was the King Band Nerd, right? That was my nickname. Uh, so they can be helpful and they can be hurtful. But it, it goes on from there, right? Who, who, let's be honest, who remembers how awkward middle school was? Anybody? Raise your hand, right? That is not me. Uh, got that. But you can remember the years like this, those awkward middle school years when you're trying to figure out who am I? Am I in the in crowd? Am I not in the in crowd? Am I an athlete? Am I an artist? Am I a musician? Am I the smart kid? Who am I? What are people saying about me? And then you go on, you go through your high school years and you go off to college. And then you're like, man, I get to go off to college. This is a chance to reinvent myself. Nobody here knows me, right? I can, I can be who I want to be. I can change my identity. I can figure out, make myself into a new person. Nobody here knows me. This is my opportunity. And then you graduate college, and what happens? You're, you're expected to be an adult. And some of us look at that, and we're like, I don't know if I'm ready to be an adult. I don't know if I'm ready for that. I've got to go get my first job. I've got to go for a job interview. I've got to face this big world. What am I going to do? What kind of job am I going to get? Where am I going to work? Who am I going to hang out with? What is my life going to be about? Maybe a few years later, you go on and you get married. This is a picture of my wife and I at our wedding day. She's beautiful, isn't she? Uh, she's not changed one bit. And we just, it, it shapes your identity now. Because now you have two people coming together, each one hoping that the other person will kind of shape their identity, and probably the women a little bit more come in thinking, I'm going to shape his identity, right? Uh, I'm going to change him. And so you, you sometimes have a little bit of conflict because you have two people who are trying to figure out what it's like to become one, to become one person. And all of a sudden, your friends are now her friends, and her friends are now your friends, right? And, and then you go on from there, and you reach parenthood. God willing, you, you become a parent, and God blesses you with children, and then everything changes, right? Your hobbies are no longer hunting, fishing, whatever. Your hobbies are your kids and your wife. Those become your hobbies. And whoever your kids' friends are, that determines who your friends are. So there's, there's no way around it. And so the question is, who am I as a parent? And then you become an empty nester. The kids move on. It's a new phase of your life. How many of you remember the TV show Empty Nest, right? Not many. Uh, <laughs> uh, so w- we begin to ask that question again. Who am I? The kids are gone. Our life revolved around those kids. And what we see a, long, a lot of the time is that people who let their life revolve around their children end up getting divorced once the kids leave because that thing that was holding them together, the reason they went to church, the reason they came home in the evenings, the reason they spent time with their spouse was because that little idol called children was right in the center of their marriage. 
And now they're empty nesters, and they say, well, what, what do we have in common? Maybe we should get divorced. Well, let's say they do stay married. Um, God willing, you stay married, and then a few years later, you become a widow. Your husband or your wife passes. That person who's been with you for 50, 60, 70 years of your life is now gone. That other half of your life is now gone. Who am I now? Maybe you live in a different city than your kids and you only get to see the grandkids at holidays at best. You begin questioning, who am I? Our identity is something that is constantly in crisis. It's something we're constantly reevaluating. Who am I? And often we look to pop psychology to answer that question, right? We look to uh, all these, these tests and these, these personality things to tell us who we are. Am I a thinker? Am I a feeler? Am I, uh, am I extroverted? Am I introverted? Am I an ENTJ or am I just a J-E-R-K? You know, what, where am I on the Myers-Briggs? Am I, am I a D? Am I an I-S-C? Where am I? And, and I'm not saying that these things are bad. They, they kind of explain how we act and how we respond to things, but they don't define us, right? And here's the interesting thing. Uh, often, when someone wants to know about God, where do they look? Look in the Bible to read more about God. What is God's character? Who is God? What does the Bible say about God? But when we start to think about ourselves, we, we start to look somewhere else. But thankfully, as we're going to see this morning in Ephesians chapter 1, go ahead and open your Bibles there. Ephesians chapter 1, Paul very clearly lays out our identity and what our identity is supposed to be about. So turn with me there in Ephesians chapter 1. And before, before we even jump in, I want to give you just a little bit of background on the Apostle Paul, the man who's writing this letter, and the Ephesians. So Paul is an apostle. Uh, He was someone who went around and told other people about Jesus in the very first century. He encountered Jesus personally in a very personal way. And in fact, it changed his life. It shaped his life so much that he ends up writing like two-thirds of the New Testament. Thirteen books of the New Testament he's written. Um, Some people would argue for for a 14th, which would be Hebrews, but we know for sure that he wrote 13 of those books. Uh, He had major influence. The book of Acts Um, more than half the book of Acts is all about Paul's travel, chapters 13 through the end, 28. It's all about his missionary journeys. But he didn't start out as a Christ follower. He started out as someone who persecuted the church, who approved of Christians being murdered for their faith. This is who Paul was until he had that encounter with Jesus Christ. And he had his life changed because he he came to realize that Jesus was the Son of God who died for his sins and rose from the dead. And that changed and shaped his life. And he knew that he had a new identity because of that. And he's writing to this town called Ephesus. And this is a pretty big city for the day. It was about 250,000 people living in this city. And it was kind of the, the start of uh, the Roman road kind of started there and went throughout uh, the rest of the world. This was a major city. In fact, uh, This is the city where one of the seven wonders of the world was. Uh, The Temple of Artemis was there. It was a major metropolitan city. It was a very, very busy place. There was art. There was music. This was the place to be. It was a lot like the city just south of here, Austin, right? People were coming there. It was the center of business. It was the place to be. And the thing is that the people in this city were very spiritual. They were very spiritual, but not many of them were Christ followers, 
And so Paul writes this little letter to those who are Christ followers, those who have put their trust in Jesus Christ. He writes this letter to them. And what's interesting is that the book of Ephesians, more than any other book, mentions the spiritual realm, mentions the powers of the spirit and the spirits of darkness because Paul knows that this is what they're faced with every single day. And this is what he says to them. He begins in verse 1. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to God and to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, there's a word that Paul uses here, a phrase that he uses over and over and over again, and this is the big idea. This is where we get our identity. And he says it twice already in three verses, to the faithful in Christ Jesus. I am in Christ. And this is kind of a new phrase that that he's using here. Um, In fact, over 30 times in the book of Ephesians, Paul's going to use this phrase, in Christ, in him, in the beloved. And he uses it over and over and over again to remind us where our identity is. Because when you know who you are, then you know what to do. When you know that you're a college student in Christ, it changes how you behave. When you accept that as your identity and you say, I'm in college now, I'm living on mom's and dad's money, what am I supposed to be about? Am I going to go party or am I going to study? Am I going to do the right things? When you're you're a college student in Christ, it helps you answer that question. When you're a single, right? When you're single, you have opportunities to fornicate or cohabitate or one of the eights, right? And so if if you're in Christ, then you know, am I going to do these things? Or am I going to follow Christ? Because Christ determines my identity. This is who I am. So I'm not going to do those things. When you're a parent, I'm a parent in Christ. Christ is going to be the center of my life. It's going to determine how I parent my children, how I relate to my spouse. Knowing who you are helps determine what to do. And so we see this very clearly. Paul is saying that we're in Christ. uses it more than 30 times in the book of Ephesians. It's used over 216 times throughout the New Testament, mostly by Paul. This is kind of a, a new idea, but it's not Paul's original idea. In fact, if you go to John chapter 15, Jesus is teaching his disciples. He's about to go to the cross. Just a few chapters over, he's going to go and he's going to die on the cross and he knows what's coming and he's teaching his disciples and he says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do what? Help me out, what does that say? Apart from me, you can do nothing. We can do nothing apart from him. Now, this is one of the grand illusions of this world, which is that, well, you say I can do nothing, but let me show you my resume. Let me show you the the wallpaper that I have from many different schools and from many different certificates that I've earned. And so the illusion of this world is that we can do all these things, but in the grand scheme of things, in in the view of eternity, they amount to nothing. And here's what Jesus is saying. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. And this is important for us to understand as, as someone who is in Christ, what he means by this. Right, The branch is the part that has the roots that goes down and gets the nutrition and the, all the good stuff. 
and it feeds it to the vine. And many of us make the mistake of thinking that we ourselves are the trunk. You are not a trunk. You're a branch. Jesus has called us to be a branch connected to him. He uses the language of relationship here. He says to be connected to me, to remain in me, and I remain in you. He's talking about a relationship. And that begins when we put our trust in Jesus Christ. When we say, I want to be in Christ. What does that mean? That means that we believe, we put our trust in the fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who lived a sinless life, died on the cross, paying the penalty for our sins, and on the third day rose again, proving that he had overcome sin and death. And when we put our trust in that, an exchange is made, right? So what we see, and we're going to see a little bit later, is that, that all the sin and stuff going on in our life, God no longer sees that when he looks at someone who's in Christ. Instead, he sees his son, Jesus Christ. And so we are in Christ, and not only do we have a new relationship with Jesus Christ, we have a new relationship with God the Father. Um, being in Christ, when we understand that that is our identity, it's the beginning of our activity, right? When you know who you are, then you know what to do. And so if you know that you're in Christ, then you know that the decisions that you make ought to reflect your position in Christ Jesus. If you don't understand that, if you don't understand your position, then one of two things will happen. You'll either make the mistake of thinking that you're the trunk, or you'll despair because you'll realize that you can't change on your own. And I know there are probably some of you here that have bought the books, you've listened to the tapes, and you've gone to the seminars, and you watch the people on TV that tell you how you can change your life, and you try to go out and you do that on your own, only to find that it doesn't work. Because change only happens in Christ. We saw that last week, right? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That happens when you are in Christ. You have to let Christ shape who you are and shape your identity. He goes on, verse 2. In fact, before he even says in Christ, he says, who is he writing this letter to? He says in verse 1, he says, to the saints in Ephesus. Okay, now I know some of you, when you hear this word saint, it kind of throws you off, right? But what we need to realize is that in Christ, I am a saint. Now, here's the thing. Most of us think of a saint, we think of like Mother Teresa, and we're like, there is no way I can live up to that. There's no way I could possibly live up to that kind of standard, and there's no way that I could ever be a saint. Uh, but let's talk about that for a little bit. Let me, let me ask you this. Paul's, Paul's writing to the entire church in Ephesus, and he calls them saints. All of them, saints. The faithful, you're a saint. The unfaithful, you're a saint. The tither, you're a saint. The, the non-tither, you're a saint. The, the person who's, who's barely coming and barely connected, you're a saint. If you're in Christ, he calls them a saint. Now, let me ask you this. Do you think, raise your hand if you think there were any bad people in the church of Ephesus. Do you think there were any sinners at that church? Okay, you think there's any sinners at River Rock Bible Church? Don't point at the pastor. Come on now. Uh, there are sinners in this church. There are sinners in the church in Ephesus, yet Paul calls them saints. Why? Because they are in Christ. Because they are in Christ. And here's the thing. The word saint, hagias, means holy ones or set apart. And so when you are in Christ, you are set apart for God's purposes. 
You are set apart, and you are a saint. Now, in the Catholic Church, man, I love my Catholic friends. In fact, uh, when we went on the dove hunt, the guy that was leading the hunt was Catholic, and it reminded me of when I used to work at a golf course, and we had a number of guys there that were Catholic, and they knew I was studying ministry, and they always wondered, what do we call you? And I was like, Charlie, Chuck, either one of those, fine. You know, they're like, Padre, we're going to call you Padre. I was like, all right. Uh, and it's great when, when we have Catholics come visit because they'll stop at the door and they'll say, Father Chuck, that was a great Mass today. And it's like, all right, <laughs> thank you. Uh, but the, the idea of sainthood that we talked about earlier about Mother Teresa and all these other things comes from the Catholic Church, right? We get the idea from them. And so... Uh, the way this started was that people would begin to be identified as someone who was really standing out as a believer in Jesus Christ. And so the church wanted a way to recognize them as someone who was, who was doing a great job. And so they came up with this thing called sainthood. And the Catholic Church then, over time, what happened is people said, well, I want to be a saint. Maybe if I give enough money uh, or if I shake hands with the right people, then I can become a saint. And so it became very political. So somewhere along the way, they instituted this 10-step uh, this process for someone to become a saint. It's almost like a 12-step program, but it's only 10 steps. And it involved all sorts of things. First thing, you had to be dead, which is crazy because you get to be a saint, but you can't even enjoy being called a saint. Uh, so you had to die. And then there had to be a number of things like a following grow up around uh, your teaching and all these things, a local following, and then a bishop would come, and then after he investigates, another bishop would come, and, and then eventually the Pope would, would look into it, and so you've got uh, the Vatican coming, and all these guys with big hats, and then you get more guys with bigger hats and bigger clipboards, and in fact, that's how you know who's in charge, is whoever's got the bigger hat, uh, is you just look, okay, who's got the big hat? Okay, he's in charge. I go to him. So they come, and they're, they're investigating all this stuff, and they're looking at it, and they're seeing, has he performed miracles after his death? Are there any post-mortem miracles? All this stuff has to take place, and I'm so glad that that is not the biblical case for sainthood. Do you know what the biblical case for a sainthood is? It's not 10 steps. It's one step. Be in Christ. If you are in Christ, you are a saint. Now, some of you are like, man, I love that. I'm going to church tomorrow. Call me St. Todd. Call me St. Joe. Call me St. Susie, right? You're thinking, my friends are going to think I'm nuts. They're going to call me St. Coach, right? And they're going to call me saint whatever, and they're going to look at you like you're insane. But that's the reality. If you are in Christ, you are a saint. God sees you as being holy. He sees you as being set apart. And that ought to change not just your identity, but also your actions. When you know who you are, then you know what to do. Here's the next thing that we see. We see this in verse 3. It says, praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. If you are in Christ, you are a saint, and you are blessed. I am blessed. Now, I know there are some of you here this morning that are looking at your life, and you're thinking, Chuck, um, I was standing in the unemployment line this week, and I do not feel blessed. I just flunked a major test. I do not feel blessed. My bank account has more zeros uh, in, in front of the decimal point uh, and behind it than I'd like to admit. In fact, there's a negative sign there. I don't feel very blessed. When I go home, I'm going home to my dumpy little apartment by myself to eat some ramen noodles uh, tonight for dinner. I do not feel blessed. But here's the reality is that 
there are, there are times that, yes, God blesses us in this life. But that's not where our blessings are. Where does it say our blessings are? Look at that verse again. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us where? In the heavenly realms. So our blessing, while some people may experience some blessing on this earth, our blessing is not necessarily in this life. Our blessing is in the life to come. That's what we look forward to. As we live out our identity in Jesus Christ, then we look forward. Jesus says that we're storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Now, as we, as we go on through this uh, next section, what you want to realize about chapters 3 through 14, if you're an English major or if you're one of those like grammar hounds that you correct people's emails and send them back, like, by the way, you used the wrong there, or you misspelled this, or you should have used a, a, a semicolon when you used a comma, if you're one of those people, this verse will drive you insane if you were to look at it in the original language because it is 202 words and it is one sentence. Paul would not pass a ninth grade English class, for sure, right? It is a long passage. It's one giant sentence that Paul is trying to communicate here. And what he's saying is that God has given himself to us throughout this whole section. He's saying that God, through Jesus Christ, has given himself to us. And that is the greatest blessing, that is the greatest gift that you can ever receive. I mean, think about, think about a wedding, Right? When you go to a wedding, you take a wedding gift. But the bride and groom don't show up to the wedding with a wedding gift, right? Because their gift is the gift that they're giving themselves to the other person. The greatest gift that God gives us is himself through his son, Christ Jesus. And we have that relationship in him when we are in Christ. Again, I, I know there are some of you who say, look, I'm just not feeling that blessed. And what you have to realize, if you're a believer, if you are in Christ and you have put your trust in him, what you need to know is this, that this life is as close as you will ever get to experiencing hell. If you are in Christ, this life is as close as you will get to experiencing hell. And here's what we need to remember about our friends who have yet to put their trust in Christ, is that this life is as close as they will ever get to experiencing heaven. When you know who you are, then you know what to do. And when you realize that, when you realize the blessing that awaits for you, and the lack of blessing, in fact a curse that waits for those who are not in Christ, it shapes what you do. It ought to. How can you not think about that? That this, is, this life is as close as some people are ever going to get to heaven, and that not motivates you to go out and want to see every person that you ever shake hands with put their trust in Jesus Christ. Now Paul, throughout this section, he gives us a couple things uh, about how we're blessed. In verse 3, 3 and 4, it says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. That's our first blessing right there, is that we are holy and blameless in his sight. Holy doesn't mean that we're perfect, just like being a saint doesn't mean that we're perfect. Blameless doesn't mean that we stop sinning, because we, hopefully we can all admit that even though we are in Christ, we still sin. And I was hit with the reality of this this week, of what does it mean to be holy and blameless in his sight? And let me tell you, on, on Wednesday morning, when I got to hold little Evie for the very first time, and look at all that beautiful hair and those 
big, beautiful eyes. Let me tell you, she was holy and blameless in my sight. She could do no wrong. But here's the reality. She's a stinking, dirty, rotten little sinner, right? It's only a matter of time before she starts saying no, before she starts disobeying, before she tells her first lie, before she steals her first toy. It's only a matter of time, right? But when I look at her, that's not what I see. I don't see her sin. I see some, something that's holy and blameless and beautiful. And when we are in Christ Jesus, that's how God sees us, positionally, right? So let's talk about that positionally versus practically. Positionally, we are in Jesus Christ. And so when God looks at us, he doesn't see our filth. He sees his son, Jesus Christ, because he took our place on the cross. He paid the penalty for our sins. So when God looks at us, that's what he sees. Practically, on the other hand, we're still filthy, dirty, rotten sinners, right? But we are covered by the grace of God. We're covered by the grace of God. Because, as we see in our next blessing, you are chosen. Verse 5 says this. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Christ in accordance with the pleasure and with his pleasure and will. Right? So I know there's, there's a, a big word there that we kind of freak out about in the church, right? There's two ways you can go with this. And people start freaking out when you talk about the word predestined. But this is the reality, that God chose you. If you are in Christ, God chose you. The reality is that every single one of us, by our actions, chose sin. We chose hell. We chose to be separated from God. But God chose you. God chose me in Christ. He chose us. He uses the language here that he adopted us as his sons through Christ Jesus Another sad reality that hit me this week was when the nurses came in and they were filling out all this paperwork after Evie was born. Um, they were asking about my relationship to Amanda. And one of the nurses said, are you her husband? Uh, or first she said, are you the father? I said, yes. And she said, are you guys married? And I said, yes. She goes, wow, we don't see that very often. The reality is that 30% of kids will go to bed tonight without a dad in their household. And I know some of you here don't have great relationships with your father. Maybe, maybe your dad wasn't uh, everything that you had hoped he would be. But what you need to realize is that God is not your earthly father. He is your perfect heavenly father. And he wants a relationship with you. He chose you. He adopted you. And he wants to be not just your father. He wants to be your daddy. He loves you. He chose you. And that is a blessing. The next thing we see in verse 7 is this. The next blessing that we have is that in him we have been redeemed through his blood. The forgiveness of sin in accordance with the riches of God's grace. So if you are in Christ, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. There's nothing more that you need to do. There's nothing that you can do to earn God's favor anymore. Because in Christ, he has already forgiven your sins. He has forgiven you. Um, Here's the last one. Verses 13 and 14 says this. It says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now let me ask you this. Who here wants an inheritance? 
right? I'd love an inheritance. I don't know that I've got one coming, but I would love an inheritance. Uh, And this verse tells us that, man, your inheritance is even going to be greater in the next life because you have eternal life in Christ Jesus. And he says he's given you the Holy Spirit to seal that, right? God puts his seal on you, and he says, this one is mine, and no one can break that seal, right? Uh, Because here's the reality, and I know some people struggle with this about my sin, and here's my sin. I struggle with with food. I struggle with pornography. I struggle with, with pride. I struggle with hatred. And whatever your struggle is, you need to know that God has forgiven in that, and he is the one who is able to overcome that in you. But don't let your sin define you because that is not how God defines you, right? Being a saint, being in Christ, means that you let God define who you are and not your sin. And what you need to realize is that if you are in Christ, you have eternal life. And that eternal life is given to you by God because he chose you. And just as Just because, uh, just in the same way that God chose you and God, it is God who gives you eternal life, right? God gives it to you. There's nothing you can do to earn it. You can't pay for it. You can't work for it. You can't go to enough services. God gives it to you. It's his to give. We receive it. In the same way that it's his to give, there's nothing that can take it from us. Because you did not save yourself, there's nothing that you can do to unsave yourself. There's nothing that anyone can do to unsave you, right? He says that you are sealed, marked with the seal, the promise, guaranteeing our inheritance. So once you are in Christ, the question is no longer where do I spend eternity because you have that eternal life. The question is how does my identity, knowing who I am, shape what I do? That's the question. Last thought is this. Why does God do all of this? Why does God bless us in this way? Why does he allow us to be in Christ? Why does he allow all of these good things to happen to us? And he says it three times, verse 6, verse 12, and lastly in verse 14, to the praise of his glory. So as one who is in Christ, when you know who you are, when you know that you are in Christ, then you know what to do. And your life is to be lived to the praise of his glory. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the, the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you that he lived a sinless life and died on the cross for our sins. And that simply by trusting in him, we have that forgiveness. You call us saints. You see us as being holy and blameless. We have a relationship with you that we can be in Christ. And God, we thank you that Once we are in your son, Jesus Christ, we are sealed. We are guaranteed eternity with you. And you tell us in John 10 that no one can snatch snatch us out of your hand. We are yours. We praise you for that. But God, as we understand more and more about our identity, I pray that you would help us to understand more and more how we go about bringing you praise and glory and honor because of our identity in Christ Jesus. We ask for your strength and your blessing in this this week. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would, go ahead and reach for your connection card and pull that out. Um, if you haven't had a chance to finish filling this out, please do go ahead and do that at this time. And I want to point you to the back. There's a few things on here that, that say, my next step is. And again, I just want to point you to that community group because that is so huge. Um, 
you may be here this morning and some of this talk about identity may have you thinking. And wouldn't it be awesome if you had a group of people to walk through that with you as you try to understand your identity? Even if you're in Christ, as you try to understand, man, I know that I'm in Christ, but still not sure what that means about what I'm supposed to do. Wouldn't it be awesome to have a small group of people to walk through that stage of your life with you as you figure that out? to come around you and to love you. It's awesome. Um, and the next thing is uh, um, beginning a relationship with Jesus Christ over here in the I'm interested in. Maybe you don't know that you're in Christ. Maybe you have questions about how do I do that? How do I really know that I'm in Christ? Please come talk to me or to Stephen or one of our elders. We would love to make sure that you know that you are in Christ and that your eternal life is secure. And the last one on here is uh, Membership. We know some of you have been coming for a little while. Maybe you joined us over the summer. We, we recently had a membership seminar, and there's questions about how do I join. Check that box. We do a little bit of a membership seminar, kind of give you a bigger picture of who we are and, and what we do. Check that box, and uh, we'll get back with you on when the next seminar will be because we'd love to have you join us as you grow in your knowledge and understanding of who Christ is and what he's done in your life. At this time, I'm going to ask for our ushers to come forward to receive this morning's offering. Um, If you're a visitor, member, regular attender, either way, just drop this in the offering plate when it comes by. Um, We do want to let you know that this is a special time for our members and regular attenders to just honor God with what he's given us uh, and to extend God's kingdom here in Georgetown and throughout the world. Will you pray with me? Father, we pray that you would receive this morning's tithes and offerings and that you would use it to continue to grow your kingdom that more and more men, women, and children would understand their identity in Jesus Christ. They would choose to put their faith in him and that they would follow after you in leading others to put their trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. pray all this in your son's name. Amen.